Mahatma Gandhi said, all compromise is based on give and take, but there can be no give and take on fundamentals. Any compromise on mere fundamentals is a surrender, for it is all give and no take. I, I love that because we're, we're going through this series on the basics, and often we, we, we want to kind of like, well, you know, if I do it sometimes, if I, if, I, if I try a little bit here and there, then that's going to make a difference. And I believe, you know, any bit more of Jesus that you do is going to make a difference. But if you really want to make a major difference and a change in your life, there can't be compromise on these very basic things. In life, we often fall into what's considered the common sense trap, where we look at basics being so basic that we avoid giving them time, right? Because we're like, well, that's just common sense. You know, like most Christians know that the common sense answer to the question, is the Bible important to a Christian's life, would say, yes, that's the common sense answer. Yet, somehow half of Christians still don't read their Bible on a regular basis. And even more than that, don't actually understand where their Bible came from and how to use it. This is the common sense trap. And we use it outside of you know, church world often where we you know, avoid something because it's like, well, that's just basics. Or we don't talk to someone about it because that's just common sense and they should know and we don't need to do extra effort there. But this series is kind of about common sense of Christianity, but it's because it's important, right? There's a common understanding in sports that if your fundamentals are not instinctual, then you'll have a difficult, um, a difficulty performing on game day, right? Because when the pressure arises, when, when you have to just do what you're used to, that's when your fundamentals should be so down that they're habitual and not just something you have to come up with in the moment. Now, often those same professional athletes while being lectured about their stance or their, you know, how are you placing your feet or how are you handing this thing off, this football, all these things, they'll maybe roll their eyes at it. But they learn the value over time because they stop fumbling the football. They stop, you know, missing those catches that they sort of caught and all those things because it becomes habitual. They don't have to watch the ball go to their hands. They know that the ball is going to go to their hands. Everything in a given discipline relies on the fundamentals. They are foundation from which all amazing feats are derived. Great scientists, artists, athletes, all of them alike rely upon the most basic skills to perform the feats that to regular people look like magic. Almost any venture in life requires an immense focus and discipline to have a small amount of chance of succeeding. And learning to love fundamentals, learning to love the basics is also learning to love discipline. When we become skilled in a task, to have discipline, to see it through to completion, you know, more options come to us. We know results come to those who have faith and refine their fundamentals until they're automatic. Right? This is the scripture that says, when you are faithful with little, I will give you more. When we don't put our faith into the little, the basics, then there's not much more he can give to us because we can't handle it. Right? You don't throw the football to the guy who drops it most of the time. Right? Even if they're open, you tuck it and run yourself. You know? And that's what Jesus often has to do when he looks at us and goes, they're not ready because they haven't got these fundamentals down. They're not faithful with the little. That's what happens when we try to skip the basics. Bruce Lee, um, he said, I fear not the man who has practiced 10,000 kicks once, but I fear the man who has practiced one kick 10,000 times. Right? That, I love that because it's funny, it's Bruce Lee, but also the, the, the impact of that. And I feel like Satan trembles at a Christian who has the basics down. When they don't have the basics, he knows I could come in there and mess it up. I can get them stirred and flustered and they don't know what to do because they don't know the foundations. They don't know the fundamentals. The basics are the backbone to everything we can and will do in a given endeavor. And like I said, we're in our series, Back to the Basics. And we're looking at these basic foundational things of Christianity and not just learning about them, but we are learning how to do them and practicing them so that you walk out of here, hopefully with a better understanding of what it means to be a Christian and how to do that in your day-to-day -day life. Because like the Apostle Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, it says, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs? But only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. 
They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. I believe that God has great things planned for this church, and it's not the building, it's the people. It's not the leadership, it's everyone. But until we all start grasping these foundational, fundamental basics of Christianity and putting them into practice, we cannot achieve what God has called us to together. We're continuing from our message from last week where we started looking at the Bible. We discussed last week what the Bible was and briefly where it comes from, and then the whys that we should read the Bible. We talked about how to read it and then the importance of meditating on it as well. Now, there's a lot of info in today's message about the word, and I would highly encourage you to take some notes um, so you don't forget this. And also, note takers are world changers. That's something, I don't know, is that your dad that always said that? Um, but I remember it from a youth just every time. And so I take notes, and often I don't always go back to them, but I know that I have them if I need them, but it helps you to remember when you write things down. And so under your seat, there's a notebook with a pen, um, so you can start taking notes. It's a perfect place to, to start writing them. But we're going to use these at the end of service, too. So don't fill it completely with notes. You're going to need some pages, okay? Um, so how do we get the Bible that we have today? Last week, we talked about how many people, that there was tons of people who wrote the Bible that has spanned over 60 generations of time. But every single one of them was directed, and they wrote through the power of the Holy Spirit. 2 Peter 1, 20-21 says, Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from a prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit, and they spoke from God. And then 2 Timothy three sixteen it says that all Scripture is inspired by God. It is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. The exact process for how God inspired the writers is sometimes a big matter of debate among different denominations, among different Christians, but it doesn't need to be. Right? We can be certain that the Holy Spirit, while directing and inspiring the people to write the Bible, he did not overtake them because we see different personalities, we see different writing styles and individuality through each book. But we can also be certain that it's not a product of human intelligence or enlightenment. All scripture is inspired by God. The Bible doesn't just contain the words of God, but it is the word of God. God gave them more the ideas, more than just ideas. He gave them the very words. 1 Corinthians 2.13 says, When we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. Isaiah, in his book, in Isaiah 59, 21, he says that the words were placed in my mouth by God. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 9, he said, the Lord touched my mouth and said to me, now I have put the words in your mouth. Now, you've probably heard of other writings of biblical people that are not included in the Bible that we have today. Maybe you've heard of the book of Jonah or of Judas or of Enoch. And I get a lot of questions on why aren't these things included in the Bible? Well, there's, um, this is where biblical canon comes into play. And the word canon means a measuring rule. A group of believers, not too long after Jesus was around, they were sitting there and they, all these books kept coming up from other authors and other writers who were there. And they said, we need to sit down and we need to decide what was inspired by God and what wasn't. And so through prayer with the Holy Spirit, leading them and guiding them and the, the accountability of a group of people saying, you know, you can't do that for your own personal gain and making sure that everyone was doing it in the right attitude, they came up with measuring rules. Things like there has to be multiple copies from different places in time that, that still match to be the same. That they were used and they were shared among the believers at that time, which means they were referenced by different people that also wrote books of the Bible. They had to be in alignment with the rest of Scripture. If it didn't fit into the majority of Scripture, then it cannot be a part of the Bible. And there was confirmation by who was written by and um, Places outside the church had referenced some of these places, these books as well. Now, these scriptures we have, this wasn't like they just made it up on the spot. 
Right? These scriptures we have come from manuscripts or old writings that have been found written on leather scrolls or on papyrus paper. But obviously, time is not working in our favor. Um, we don't believe that we have a single original writing of any of the scriptures. And there's more on why in a second. But I want you to know that it does not compromise the authority of the Bible. We have thousands of early Hebrew and Greek manuscripts that were carefully and meticulously copied by ancient scribes. Now, these scribes, they exercise the greatest care ever. Um, I, so something that I've challenged myself to do starting earlier this year is I'm writing my own copy of the Bible. And because um, I, I read a scripture and we talked about more about that some other time. But I'm only bringing this up to say that every day I do a chapter or try to, and every day I make multiple mistakes um, because I've just, I just can't, I, I don't know, I mess up a word or I, I start writing something or I, I'm using a different translation than some of the verses I'm used to. So I start writing it one way and it doesn't match. Now, when scribes were copying these things, the moment that they made a mistake, they destroyed the whole sheet of paper. It wasn't, it wasn't just like scribble it out, you know, put a line through it and keep going. They didn't want there to be inaccurate copies of the scripture. So they would destroy the, even if it was their whole day's work on that one piece of that one scroll, they would throw away the whole thing. And they had two main rules. is no scroll could be, continue to be used once the text started to fade. So that's why we don't have original copies is that those old ones would start to fade and they would get rid of them because they didn't want people you know, going in, making adjustments or guessing on spots that they couldn't see. And that's why they kept making these copies and these scribes would continuously make new copies of the scriptures. And again, they weren't allowed to erase a mistake or cross it out. Instead, it was thrown away and started over. So even though many people throughout history have tried to destroy and discredit the Bible, it still stands to this very day. We have nearly 6,000 pieces of copies of the New Testament in the original Greek language. Now, that in itself is pretty amazing that we have that. There's no other book from that time that nobody else, you know, like Odyssey by Homer, like no one else goes out and tries to discredit that, even though there's less than 1,000 copies of that in its original language. But the Bible has multiple mores. But what's more amazing than that is the accuracy from each copy to another is around 99% accurate. Most of the differences, that they, I mean, they're calculating everything, measurements on the scroll. So if there's more spacing, that counts as an inaccuracy, right? If someone just went a little bit too far for that next word, inaccuracy. You know, and it's Greek language, but something similar to like missing the dot of the I or that it was a little bit too far over the cross of the T, you know, it's Greek language, so different letters, but those placements were just a little bit off. That counts as an inaccuracy, yet still 99% accurate. And we have ones that date back as far as 125 AD. Now, for the Old Testament, not only do we find quotes of it in the New Testament to compare its accuracy, in 1947, we found the Dead Sea Scrolls. Have you guys heard of those before? Um, at this time, they were declared to be over 1,900 years old. There's a full copy of the book of Isaiah on a scroll that's 24 feet long. That scribe deserves a reward, you know. Uh, that they assume is transcribed from around 150 BC. Now today, you can still go back and look at the Bible in the original language. You know, so that you can see for yourself. A lot of people say, well, you can't trust it because it's been translated to English. Well, go back and look at the original language and, and you can use dictionaries from language experts outside of the Christian world and it still says what it says. But, you know, what's also really nice is that many scholars sat down and they made it easier for us to read the scripture by translating it into modern languages for us to be able to read and understand in today's world. So how do we know that this Bible is true? Well, first off, like I've been talking about, we have all these copies that are accurate to each other from so many different periods of time in different places. And why is this important? How many of you guys ever played the game Telephone? Right? At some point in your life, we, we were just playing it last week with uh, my family while we were waiting for food um, at a restaurant. And uh, I think more times than not, we did not get the telephone message correct all the way to the end. And that is the importance of the fact that this is copied so perfectly that that doesn't happen. Right? Even in a setting of 10 people, we couldn't get it accurate. Now take that same game, but do it over different languages, thousands of years and people, right? We shouldn't have something close to the same message, but we do. 
But that's also not the only thing. The historical accuracy of biblical accounts is beyond dispute. Dates and details, kings and kingdoms, people and places, stories, structures have all been unearthed by excavation um, of sites located in, in the Bible lands. Right? Archaeological digs that corroborate with scripture have been conducted by secular scientists, Bible scholars, and even treasure hunters to find things that do exist. The Bible is used as a history book. As much as people want to discredit it, it's one of the most historical documents we have spanning some of human time. The Bible is also full of fulfilled prophecy. Now, prophecy is the telling of history before it happens. It's not magic. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you know that Daniel's prophecy in chapter 2, he interpreted a dream of a king. And it foretells the rise and fall of four different empires in chronological order that later happened. In history, outside of the Bible, this is credited. And that's just one of the prophecies. There are hundreds of fulfilled prophecies in Scripture, over 300 alone that Jesus fulfilled when he walked the earth. Now, maybe you're a skeptic, and that's fine, and you think Bible and science, they can't go together. Like, only one's true, and science is proven, so we have to choose science. Well, the Bible can't exist within science and actually supports a lot of it. Many of the early scientists believed in God, like Pascal, Kepler, Newton, Ray, Boyle, and George Washington Carver. They, in faith, went to labs expecting to discover what they had already read about in the Bible. The Bible often informed their research. Biblical writers had no idea they were disclosing scientific laws of botany and anthropology, zoology, astronomy, and geology, but God knew what he was doing. In Isaiah 40, verse 22, it says, God sits above the circle of the earth. The people below seem like grasshoppers to him. He spreads out the heavens like a curtain, and he makes his tent from them. Right? It was common belief when this was written that the earth was flat. Yet they wrote here that there was a circle of the earth. It's right here in the Bible, 22 centuries before the discovery. Psalm 8.8 says, The birds in the sky and the fish in the sea and everything that swims the ocean currents. Now, this is important because we didn't have the word currents in the original language of this. It actually translates directly to the paths of the sea. And that's how the King James Version wrote it, which led U.S. Navy officer Matthew Maury in the 1840s to go, if the Bible says there's paths in the sea, maybe that's something that will help us with our ships. And he began to explore ocean currents and was able to speed up the amount of time it took for people to get across the ocean because of a biblical verse. And there's many, many more discoveries like that. But like I mentioned last week, there are three ways that we're commanded to interact with scriptures throughout the Bible. We intake scripture, we read or we hear it, right? Secondly, we meditate on it. And we did a meditation at the end of service last week um, on the scripture. And the third way that we interact is we study it. If you missed last week's message, I highly encourage you to go back and listen to it um, because it will help you to study better and to lead up to what we're talking about today. You can find them online, but... We're going to finish up today talking about how to study your Bible. In Acts chapter 8, verses 30 through 31, we find this story of a man who is trying to read the Bible. And Philip, um, one of the early apostles, is walking along this road. And he overhears a man reading from the prophet Isaiah, verse 30. And Philip asked, do you understand what you are reading? And the man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come into the carriage and sit with him. Right? It's not, not only is it important that we intake the word of God and that we meditate on it, but it's important for us to begin to understand it. Now, studying scripture, stu- studying the scripture is learning how to make sense of what you read. Right? It's not to make you smarter. It's not so you can win arguments. Okay? Studying scripture is so you can know how to apply it to your life and live more like Jesus. Dan Kimball, the author of How Not to Read the Bible, said to understand what Bible verses mean, we need to understand how these verses fit into the whole Bible. If we ignore this, we will all too easily believe that mythical, magical unicorns are in the Bible, along with talking snakes, that churches don't let women speak or ask questions, and many other crazy and very strange and weird-sounding things. Dan Kimball, from that book, gives us four facts about how not to read the Bible. The first, he says, the Bible is a library, not one book. The Bible is written for us, but not to us. 
Never read just one Bible verse. And all the Bible points to Jesus. Now, if you can remember those four things as you're studying, I think it will really help you to understand what it means. And we're going to dig into each one of those a little bit deeper so that we can understand what he meant by those. The first one, that the Bible is a library, it's not one book. Right, so the Bible does not read. We talked about how it's full of all these different books by many different authors. The actual, you know, biblical or original word for the Bible was ta biblia, which means the little books, multiple books. It's a library. And it does not read front to back. Like, you wouldn't go to the library and look at a bookshelf and assume all those books tell the same story in order. Right? That would be ridiculous. You'd be, like, you'd be so confused when you start the second book, then the third book. And, and some people have that problem with the Bible because it is not fully chronological. It's not front to back as a continuous timeline. Many of the books overlap. Many of them are different viewpoints about the same thing. And they don't always carry continuous thought from one book to the other because the background context is different. The people they're writing to is different. It's always changing from book to book. The Old Testament and the New Testament have multiple books that are happening at the same time. Like the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all different viewpoints about the same time frame of Jesus walking on the earth. And they're all written to different people. And so they pick different stories and they talk about different things that would relate to the people they're writing to. In the Old Testament, you have the kings and you have um, the chronicles. And they're different viewpoints of similar things that are happening from different historians to people that are pointing out different things for the reasons of each king that served. There's also those different literary styles that vary from book to book. I think one of the biggest things that's missed in the Bible's truthfulness, or what people call biblical inerrancy, as I mentioned last week, is understanding the context and the writing styles. People will tell you that the Bible is not true, and they pull all sorts of random contradictions out. But it really comes down to these issues here. Now, the Bible is true in all of its ways, but that does not mean that it's literal. Okay, hear me on this. The books about history are literal, but even parts of the history books puts songs and poems and stories in there, and you can't take those literal. You need to read the Bible not just literally, but literary, because there are prophetic, poetic, historic books. There are letters to specific people and to churches as a whole, in different writing styles within each one. Every one of them is different. Now, some of you have been like, he's saying the Bible is not fully true? And no, but Yes. Okay, and uh, follow me with this. We're going to look at this example in Song of Solomon, um, chapter four, one through four. It says, you are beautiful, my darling, beautiful beyond words. Your eyes are like doves behind your veil. Your hair falls in waves like a flock of goats winding down the slopes of Gilead. Your teeth are as white as sheep and recently, recently shorn and freshly washed. Your smile is flawless, each tooth matched with its, tin, your, with its twin. Your lips are like scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is inviting. Your cheeks are like rosy pomegranates behind your veil. Your neck is as beautiful as the Tower of David, jeweled with the shields of a thousand heroes. Now, this goes on, but it gets a little bit intimate for this illustration. Um, so we're stopping there. But if we read this literally, this is what his bride looked like. Okay? Now, this to me is not a beautiful woman. I mean, to each their own. And, uh, you know, it's not for me to judge, right? But... You know, goat hair, dove-shaped eyes, marble neck, pomegranates on her face. Like, this is not what Song of Solomon was meaning. What he is doing is he's using literary elements to explain how beautiful this woman is. And the Bible is full of lots of this imagery. And we can't take things literal when it's meant to be literary. So understanding poetry... This means this woman is very beautiful and that we also learned that back then they compared women to weird things. But we're going to look at these next two um, things together, that the Bible is written for us but not to us and that you never just read one Bible verse. And we're going to go over them together because they're similar in thought. Um, to understand scripture, you need to understand not just the literary element but also the context. Like who is this book written to? Because it wasn't written to you by the authors. Now, God gave us the Bible for us to use. It's written for us, but not to us. In the, the context of when you're reading a scripture, you're not the main subject. You didn't exist when these people were writing. Now, 
That doesn't mean that God's not thinking about you and that this word does not apply to our lives today. But you can't just throw yourself into every situation in the Bible without understanding the context. So you need to know the who, the what, the when, where, and why of each book. Like back to elementary school, the basics. We also need to remember that scripture was written in a time that was not now. Right? The cultures were very different in the world um, compared to the world that we live in today. Sometimes it's very confusing why the Bible says what it says. And sometimes it seems pretty offensive or pretty harsh. But we need to understand that the Bible was written, Bible was written in different covenant times, different cultural times, and to different people groups than what we have today. It's important to understand those contexts. This is also why you don't just read one Bible verse and build a theology around one verse in Scripture. Because you need to know the context, which usually involves more than one Scripture. You can cross-reference to other scriptures talking about same topics and to see what other authors of the Bible had to say. You know, or if it was just a particular subject in this part of the book. There's a phrase called scripture, or a phrase that says scripture interprets scripture. Basically, if you think a scripture says something, but no other scriptures are saying the same thing, then you're probably wrong. The scripture is right. I would say that most of the contradictions in the Bible are cleared up in these areas of understanding the who, what, when, where, and why and the, the literary style that it was written in. Now, I think, now, some of you may be thinking, I didn't go to Bible school. So I don't know all of this history of the Bible or each book or the context. And I'm here to say you don't have to go to Bible school to learn that. Um, there are plenty of classes you can do online, and I'd be willing to direct you if you're interested in doing something deeper schooling-wise but you don't have to go there to learn these or to understand these things. There are tons and tons of tools, even free tools, that will help you to discover these things if you just take some time when you're studying to learn them. So I'm going to give you some of these helpful tools. First, find a translation of the Bible that you can understand. We talked briefly about this last week, but there are a lot of versions or translations of the Bible out there. Now, I'm going to tell you to avoid the King James Version, and I know there are people here that swear by it and will probably come up and talk to me again after service, but I'm going to encourage you to try to find something in a modern English version. Even if you read the King James Version, find something else, because I can guarantee that there are things you are missing because that's not your common language anymore. It probably never was. It was written back in the 1600s, right? You don't speak that way, so it's very hard for you to understand. You are now taking a translation into to an English you don't understand and then have to retranslate it into today's language and you're going to miss some of the original context of what the scripture was saying. All modern translations go back to the original manuscripts, to the original language to translate from there. I see a thing going around Facebook all the time of people trying to prove that the Bible's not true because it wasn't, because it's translated from other versions. Often people say it's translated from the King James Version, which is not true at all. Um, now, King James Version, however, was translated from the Latin version. It wasn't translated from the original languages because they didn't have access to it in the 1600s. They had the Latin. So, again, King James Version, you got original language to Latin, Latin to Old English, to English today. And there's a lot of options to be inaccurate when you're trying to do that. So, again, try something else. But also understand that your Bible comes whatever you're picking is usually translated all the way back to the original language. And you can actually look in the beginning of your Bible in those pages you probably have never looked at before. And I think even in the Bible app, there's an option to look at how your Bible is translated. It goes into usually detail of how many people were involved in the translation, their degrees, their knowledge, and why they translated the way they did and how your specific translation was translated so that you can understand that better. Um, now, I'm going to recommend the NLT, which is the New Living Translation. Um, it's an easy read. I think that it's fairly accurate to the original language. It's what I use when I preach because I think it's easy to understand. I also like the CSB. Maybe you're like, but I like the King James Version because I, I like the traditional sound. Try the CSB. It, it holds to a more traditional sounding version, um, but still easy to read. And I think the ESV, if you're the one, like, I want the most accurate version that they have out there. I would go with like ESV or the NASB um, because they translate word for word, not thought for thought or sentence for sentence. 
But understand that that's going to make it a little bit more confusing to read because the sentence structure is going to be a little out of order sometimes. Um, now, people say translations can't be accurate. And I'll say that there's probably some truth to that because it is people trying their best to translate things. I know that you know, even being around Victoria's family and them speaking Spanish and sometimes I get lost in what's going on because I only know so many words and then she'll try and translate to me, you know, on the fly and I'm like, that didn't make any sense. And, um, you know, and it just happens because that's what happens in translation. But again, we have access back to the original language if you want to go and look for it yourself. But understand that the Bible is like, they put a lot of time, a lot of money and a lot of effort into translating them into the versions today. It's not just some guy out there winging it, okay? Because um, I feel like people try and say that all the time. It's like, that's not, that's not how it works. Now that you have a Bible that you can understand, you got to learn how to use it, right? In the year 1250 AD, so not quite a thousand years ago, the books of the Bible were divided into chapters, okay? So when Paul was writing the book of Romans, he didn't chapter it. It was just one letter to the church of Rome. And so later, to help us be able to use Scripture, they added into chapters. And then 300 years after that, they divided chapters into verses. Now, this was done so we can find these Scriptures either, so easier. So when people say John 3.16, right, that is considered the verse address. Right? It's the book of John, chapter 3, verse 16. But also understand that these chapter divisions, that these verses, um, and even like the headlines above paragraphs and stuff in your Bible, they were not there when it was originally written. And so sometimes you need to read from one chapter to the next to really understand what the author was saying. Right? Some of those bold headlines and paragraphs are to give you a quicker thought of what's happening when you're skimming through, but they may not be what God is revealing to you when you read those scriptures or may not be fully accurate to what the original author was trying to write at that time. Right? And so understand how the Bible is written so that you can understand it better. Most Bibles also have some of these small helpful tools built in, right? Like a lot of Bibles have what Jesus says in, in red lettering so that you can understand this is what Jesus said versus other people. Now, if you're reading in the Bible app, you may have noticed that at times there's three little dots by a word. Uh, you can go to the next slide. Up here. Um, you know, like after the word beginning, there's these three little dots. Now, if you click that, what that is doing is saying, in a lot of these cases, is when they were translating the Bible, they said pretty evenly split. It's translated this word, but sometimes it's also translated this word or this phrase. You know, and they thought maybe this phrase didn't flow as well, but they want you to know because they're trying to be as accurate as they can. So you can click that to get a little bit more understanding of what your translation is saying. Now, if you have a printed version of the Bible... I'll try and step a little more out of the way. Um, go to the next slide. Often they have little letters by, the, by different words. And it's the same thing. They connect to either like the middle of the Bible or the bottom of the page. That tells you what that means. So Selah means it's a word of uncertain meaning occurring frequently in Psalms and probably a musical term of that time. You know, and so they, they give you these little insights. Now, it'll also show you when the author is quoting another part of the Bible. So if you go to the next slide... Um, you know, so Jesus in Matthew 4, he's saying, it is written that man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Now, Jesus didn't just make that up on the spot. He's actually quoting Deuteronomy 8.3. And so it lets you know that, oh, hey, that's a scripture from there. And why that's important, same in the printing Bible or printed Bible. Why that's important is because that helps you to understand the context. You can go back and read in Deuteronomy. Why, why were they talking about man can't live on bread alone in Deuteronomy 8? And then you can read that and go, oh, that's why Jesus was able to use this verse or why so-and-so quoted this section of scripture. Now, some Bibles has a, have a cross-reference section. Um, sometimes it's in the middle between the two columns. And uh, these cross-references tell you they, this verse, you know, it would probably say, you know, John 12, 13. And then you can find 12, 13 over here and it'll tell you other verses that talk on similar topics. Because maybe you don't understand what was meant to that. Now you can go read some other verses to understand better. It'll show you other verses that relate. Other Bibles have what's called a concordance in the back. And it, you can look up topics or people or Bible stories. In the very back, it'll say, you know, if you wanted to know about Noah, you can find Noah and it'll point you to him. He's right here in the front row. Uh, 
Now, but it'll show you that Noah was talked about in the book of Genesis, and it'll show you the sections where Noah is mentioned, and you can go and read about it that way. You can also purchase these tools in book forms to use alongside your Bible if your Bible doesn't have it in it, but you like the Bible you have. You can also find what's called a study Bible. Now, study Bible is a regular Bible that usually has a person or a group of people's thoughts about different pieces of the Bible built into it, which is called a commentary. They usually give you the context for the book. You know, if you want to know the who, what, when, where, and why easily, if you pick up a study Bible, usually at the beginning of every book, it tells you this is who wrote it, this is who they're writing to, this is the rough time frame that it was written, so you can understand cultural stuff, and it gives all of that information for you. But I also want to let you know that these comments in the study Bible are not the Bible. Okay, you can't build your theology and your base your Christian life off of just what these people are saying. Okay, they are helpful, but they're not considered 100% truth. You can get commentaries separate from the Bible. Again, it's just thoughts verse by verse. Uh, I think I have two shelves full currently in the office of different commentaries, um, probably more than that, actually, but of, of different scriptures. And people have spent a lot of time, these theologians, writing down their thoughts and meeting with other people and trying to help people to understand scripture. Um, so if you ever want to borrow them, they're there. But the great thing about today is that through the internet, we have free access to all of these tools. Right Now, I will caution you from just Googling things. Okay, If you get on there and say, what does 2 Corinthians 2, 2 mean? You'll find all sorts of things. Um, and again, you should know this by now, but you cannot trust what you read on the internet always. Okay? And, um, but what I'm saying also is read whatever you want. I'm not a person that says, oh, you don't stay away from those people. They're always liars. And, and you know, only read what the Christian, the, the trusted people say. That's not me. Because um, I'm going to read it. I've been on those sites. If you find it, I've probably already read it. And because I'm looking for it and I want to know what other people are thinking. But what I want you to do is consider the source. Consider what their education might be, right? Because theologians who write these commentaries, they've given their lives dedicated to scripture to understand it and explain it better, right? It's probably a little bit more accurate than the random atheist site who's saying it's not accurate, right? Because that's probably not their degrees. A couple of sites that I use that I would encourage you to use, one is biblehub.com. It's a great tool. Um, it shows you individual verses. You can type in whatever you want. It'll give you different translations. So right away, you can read multiple different translations and, and how it's translated and you know, see that. You can see the context. Um, you can see cross-references. It gives a commentary. And it usually gives, I think, a couple different commentaries so you can read what different people are saying about that verse. And it usually, I, I believe that it shows you the original language as well on that. And so you can see in the Greek or the Hebrew what it was said and what each word definition is so you can you know, see why they translated it the way they did and see if you agree. Um, another one that I use a lot is blueletterbible.org. They have a really great app as well that I use. It has basically all the same tools as above, but it's a lot more in-depth. The Bible Hub is like one page. You type in 1 Corinthians 2.2, and it'll show you that verse and all the stuff in one scroll. Um, Blue Letter Bible has a lot more stuff, but it's a little bit more in-depth digging around to find it. Um, but I think it does a better, easier job at looking at things in the original language, if you're interested in that. And then there's the Bible app, the YouVersion Bible app that we always use. Um, I, I know that it does have some of these tools as well, but it also has devotional Bible plans. And if you're going through these devotional Bible plans by you know, somebody who's written there, they're usually explaining the scriptures that you're reading some sort of way so you can understand it better. Um, and maybe you're like, I'm pretty new to this, and you know somebody else is better at explaining the Bible than you. See if they want to do a Bible study plan with you so that you can go through it together. You can ask questions, and they can lead you through it. The fourth point that Dan gave us was that all of the Bible points to Jesus. Everything you read should point you to Jesus, to be more like him, to fall more in love with him, to understand him more. And so you can always filter what you're reading through the life and the messages of Jesus. Now, there is some you know, messages in the Old Testament, things that were happening in that culture that Jesus confronted when he walked on the earth. And that means that there's places that you'll read and you won't understand how that fits until you look at the life of Jesus and see how he redirected those things to the world we live in today. 
Jesus was confronting the messages of the Old Testament often, reminding people it's not about the do's and the do nots as much it is as it is about your heart and what, who you are and who you are becoming. That if you aren't first loving people and what you're doing is hurting people, then it's not right. Remember that God's overall goal through scripture, we talked about this last week, is bringing everyone back into right standing or reconciling them to him so that they can be together in the end. And lastly, studying the Bible is kind of pointless if you don't apply the Bible to your life. Hearing and reading, studying and knowing, meditating and memorizing, they're all great things. But without applying them, you'll miss out on all the good parts of it. Jesus talked about this in Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27. He says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in 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 torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When it rains and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Both the foolish and the wise person in this story heard the words of God. But it was the wise person that actually followed it and found himself with a firm foundation. All right, so it's not just enough for you to hear the word of God. If you do not understand it and apply it, it's not gonna give you a firm foundation. And Jesus calls you a fool. Some of you are looking for a good, solid foundation in your life. You're tired of things being shaky, the unknown feelings of having no roots and feeling like everything that happens knocks you over and knocks you down. This is what you need to do. Study and apply. Right? This is like reading a diet book and then just assuming you're going to lose weight. Right? Like I read about it, so why am I not losing weight? Right? It doesn't do anything until you apply what you've read. Now, the Bible is greater than a diet book, right? According to Hebrews 4.12, it says the Bible is alive and active. And I think that it does do quite a bit just from reading, but it does so much more when applied, right? If you bought sunscreen and you read the bottle, it would not protect your skin until you apply it. And so follow the instructions and apply it to your life, just like sunscreen, and it'll make a difference. So the last tool I have for you today is something that um, I was taught as a youth, I think, I believe that Pastor Jim, I know that he used it as well, and so I assume he taught it in ways, but it's the acronym SOAP for studying. Um, so after you do your daily Bible reading, which should be more than one verse, as we talked about last week, you go back and you pick a verse or a small little section that stood out to you, and you write it down in your little journal, and that is the scripture portion. Then you make some observations. Now, this is where these tools we talked about come into play. You look at the context of the scriptures that's surrounding it. You open that verse up on Bible Hub and you read some cross-references, you read the commentary, or you look at it in the original language and you make some observations of what does this scripture mean to me? What was standing out to me? And then the next section is application. How can I apply this to my life? Right? Because that's important. We just talked about it. If you don't have any application, then you're, you're wasting your time. So apply it to your life. And then you pray it into happening. And then I'm going to add meditate, so you soap them, okay? Um, But then you just think about it. Think about that verse throughout your day. Whenever you're like, man, I'm kind of bored. What was that verse I I wrote down today? And meditate on it. Keep bringing it up so it gets hidden in your heart like we talked about last week. So today before we leave, we're going to do a Bible study, okay? I know that today maybe feel a little bit longer than normal, but I think that's important for us to practice these things put these basics into to work today and it'd be almost like my fault for sending you out without doing that. And so I don't want that. So I'm going to make you do this before you leave. Uh, but I have a challenge a little bit bigger than today for you. Now, uh, the book of Psalm chapter 119, it's the longest chapter in the Bible. It's 176 verses about the word of God and how important it is and all of the good things in the word of God. Now, it's divided into 22 sections based on the Hebrew alphabet, and each section is eight verses each. Now, the challenge that I have for you guys is that for the next 22 days, starting today, because we're going to do the first one together, uh, and ending on November 6th, is that you will do a section each day. You will read those eight verses, 
You'll pick one verse or two, and you'll fill out this soap study in this notebook that I gave you. If you're online, you know, find a notepad, do it all the same. Um, But if you complete this challenge, we'll have something for you. I don't know what it is, but it's well worth your time. Let me tell you, okay? And um, I want to spur you on to do this. So just know it will be life-changing, okay? Not the gift, obviously, but reading the Bible. Um, Okay, so pull out your notepads. We're going to start with the first section of Psalm 119. Um, If you're online, like I said, grab a piece of paper, pull out the notes app on your phone. Victoria, can you bring me a book and a pen? Forgot to grab one. Hey. Um, I'm going to read it out loud, but you should open your Bible and follow along with me in Psalm 119, 1 through 8. All right, you guys ready? How happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk according to the Lord's instruction. Happy are those who keep his decrees and seek him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong. They walk in his ways. You have commanded that your precepts be diligently kept. If only my ways were committed to keeping your statutes, then I would not be ashamed when I think about all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous judgments. I will keep your statutes. Never abandon me. All right, now pick one of those verses that stands out to you, maybe two. Write it in your notepad under the heading scripture. Then make some observations, you know, open up your Bible app or go to biblehub.com. You actually want to put that slide back up with those websites and things? All right, if you're still working, go ahead and finish up, you know, keep going. But um, I'll just go over mine with you guys real quick so you can see, you know, it doesn't have to be much. But uh, Psalm 119 verse 2 is what I picked. It says... um, Joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all their hearts. And uh, so then I went to Bible Hub and looked at their, um, scrolled down, looked at the original language just because I like that. I like to see what words meant and what they chose. And um, the Hebrew definition for whole heart was feelings, the will, intellect, and their very being, their very center. And um, so I was just thinking like, what stood out to me is that, man, I, would, I, would, I like to be joyful. I like to be, you know, in the original, the version I read to you guys said, how happy are those um, who is blameless? I'm like, okay, so a key to finding joy and happiness in my life is searching God with all my feelings, my will, my intellect, my very being. And so my application is that, that very sentence, if I can just kind of put aside my existence to search for him, that that's where joyful or joy and um, blessed and happy is found. And uh, so then my prayer is just that. May I find joy in searching for you with all of me and putting myself behind me to seek all of who you are. Yeah. And so it doesn't have to be anything real in-depth. Obviously, spend time in it and dwell in it and then, you know, think about that. Um, you know, as you do this each day, I really encourage you to really put effort into it. You know, like we started at the very beginning, you know, I believe that every one of us has been called to a much greater purpose and God is just waiting to hand us kind of some of those bigger purposes when we start to become a little bit more faithful with the little things. And often we want to jump to the big things, but God's like, you want to know how to handle it. You you want to catch the pass I'm throwing you right now, you know? And so get down these basics and, and really dive into it. And not just for the sake of what is to come, but because the Bible will change your life especially reading through Psalm 119. Um, There was uh, about a one-year period in my life that I shared it with some people, but um, when I started into my first lead ministry role was leading youth ministry, and uh, I had a bad habit of just dating a lot and um, because I felt like I needed to have someone. And so my life was just kind of too consumed with that and trying to find, you know, my future someone and all sorts of things. And I decided when I took over youth ministry, that's a really bad example to set for my youth kids. And so I decided I was going to give up dating for a year. And that was really hard for me. And I mentioned last week that um, somebody said something that really changed my life about the Bible was that he said, this is like a love letter written to you. Why would you not get into it? And then so that 
just kind of changed my outlook on it. And the next day, I opened up my Bible and was like, I'm just going to read from somewhere. And Psalm 119 actually falls pretty much in the middle of the Bible. And so I opened to Psalm 119 and started reading it. And I spent pretty much that whole year just reading Psalm 119 over and over and over again. It's probably the most underlined book in my Bible. And, um, but because of that, I feel like it, it's led me to understand all the goodness that, that is in the Bible. Because it's just over and over again the promises of Scripture and why we should love it more and why we should dig in deeper. So that's why I picked Psalm 119. But don't just do it to accomplish something, but do it to get into God. Do it to let the word shape you and change you. Like I said, Hebrews 4, it's living and active. It wants to shape you. It, it exists to shape you, to make you more like Jesus. So let it shape you. Get into it. Study it, not just for doing it. You know, some days they probably feel a little bit more doing it and do it that day still, because that's what basics are about. But let it shape you to be a little bit more like Jesus. So with that, let's pray. God, I just thank you for your, your scripture, Lord, and for what it does to us, Lord. God, that you didn't just leave us out here with nothing, God, but that you gave us your word that even when it feels like you're quiet in our prayer time, God, you've still given us this giant love letter that I can dig into and find more of you, Lord. I pray that you will help us to understand um, these scriptures more, God. um, The Holy Spirit that you sent to us is told to be our teacher, is to be our counselor, and it's gonna walk through scripture with us, and it's gonna help us to understand things. But don't let it be something that we just rely on, God, when you've given us all these other tools to understand your scripture better, God, to understand you better, to understand your character and, and how you treat us and how you want us to be so that we could be together. God. We just love you so much. We're so thankful that we get to be a part of life with you. In your wonderful name we pray, amen. Go and be productive for Jesus. Have you been praying and you still have no answer?